You're listening to XVGM Radio. Welcome to XVGM Radio, where the bits keep coming. I'm Mike. And I'm Justin. And this is episode 77, only in PAL. Woo! <laughs> what does that mean, Justin? It means we're good friends forever. <laughs> we're only in only, friends. Only in friends. Wait, wait, that doesn't sound right. No, we, we were in <laughs> friends. And it was just, it was called PAL in Europe. We were in friends. <laughs> You're kind of a champion. Anyways... Uh, so uh we are playing music from the pal territory these are games that were only released exclusively in pal markets whether that be europe whether that be australia whether that be brazil it's pal and uh there's some really good tunes that you're gonna hear today 
and some really weird games that we're going to talk about. Some of these games, the music is so good, it's like, it's unfair that they belong to games like these. Yeah, kind of like that, that track we came in on. I, I don't know about you, but I, I was really digging that one, and it, it did some unexpected things, and then I saw what game it was from, and was just like, oh, ouch. Yeah, when I think of PAL exclusives, I immediately think of Noah's Ark on the NES, which is the game that we came in on. Uh, this came out in 1992, and the track that we played is just called Track 3. Uh, it's by Chris Gill, Paul Summers, and Link Tomlin, who did the sound programming. This one, it's just like a typical like platform ditty. You know, it's just laid back, carefree. One of the things I really like about it, though, is those drums. I don't think those are samples, but those are, like, really, like, clip-cloppy. Like, it really does sound like you're on a horse. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I don't know if that's what they were going for, but it's it's really unique to the NES. The, the drums were really neat. I did enjoy them, but what really got me, so like it was, it was kind of bouncy. I was, I was digging it for the the, the time that it was on, uh, and then around one minute forty seven seconds, there's this weird like breakdown. It was just really unexpected and really like it, 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 it really amped it up for me. Like I, I was already enjoying it, and then when that came in, I just wasn't expecting it, and I was like, oh wow, this is really cool. So uh, I just thought it was a really neat composition overall. Most people who have heard of this game ahead of time heard about it from an angry video game nerd review that he he did. I don't remember what review it was, but he did some review and he casually mentioned this game and he showcased some really cool like boss type music. Hmm. And I remember hearing that and being like, whoa, I gotta get this game. And I ended up picking it up on eBay, pretty cheap back then. I mean, it was like 30 bucks. It's probably way more now. But I I remember playing it and not liking it. Like, <laughs> I just did not like it. The one thing I noticed about the music is that the music is much slower in the, uh, in the format that we played it in for this one because I, b I believe because it's the uh it's the 50 hertz version mm. so it's automatically going to be slower and when you hear that boss music like online when you look it up if you don't go for the 60 hertz version and you listen to the original 50 man it's like listening to a totally different track it's very slow and it sounds like the notes are kind of stuttering like it d it deserves to be sped up it deserves <laughs> to be faster but this game is supposed to be released in the u.s but because of uh nintendo having uh bans on religious stuff they mm. were not allowed to uh publish it it was going to be published by matchbox of all people i'm surprised it didn't go through like a uh, tengen or something because i mean there, there were plenty of unlicensed games on the nes and i mean if if they did it out in uh out in the pal territories then there mm. there's no reason it couldn't have been ported i i'm i'm surprised that nobody picked it up May, maybe nobody wanted to pick up a religious game uh or maybe there, were, there was something else going on there but it's actually yeah. surprising to me. Maybe. I mean, I don't honestly recall there being that much, like, religion involved. I just remember, you know, Noah and the Ark and your freezing enemies and you're using all different kinds of weapons. It's basically like a like a running gun almost. Hmm. There'll be levels where, like, the screen scrolls automatically and you're, like, you know, moving with the screen. Um, you're basically just trying to rescue a bunch of animals to gather them up so that way you can put them in the, uh, in the Ark. You know, the typical Noah's Ark story. Yeah. You go to all different types of places and time periods, which is weird because it's like, wait, is hmm. Noah a time traveler then? Say, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you go to like ancient Rome and, you know, prehistoric Australia and the Ice Age in Antarctica, all sorts of really neat places. There's three stages. 
uh, for each of the continents that you visit. So a total of 21 stages altogether. This one is published by Konami of Europe, but it does not sound like a Konami song. No, not at all. Like, like the, no, the music is very clearly using the developer's sound driver or sound source, which uh, the developer is known as Source Research and Development. And uh, all these composers that are that are listed on it, they're, they're all considered, you know, European composers, which you're going to see a lot of. There's no Japanese composers <laughs> on this list, so. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so yeah. who are these composers? Yeah, so Chris Gill is, is considered the main composer, and it was kind of tough to find information on them. Hmm. But I believe that they are credited for some early 90s as well as uh, an 80s game called Firetrap, which came out in 1987, P47 Thunderbolt in 1990, and Pyramids of Ra in 1991. Those are the only credits that I could find for audio for them. There's a couple other Chris Gills that are like online uh, through our various sources, but I couldn't find any direct source that other than Wikipedia that credited Chris Gill. Hmm. Paul Summers is also credited for it, though again, a little bit tougher to find information on Paul, but he started off with a game called SDI Strategic Defense Initiative in 87. He did Predator in 1988. He did a game called Rainbow Warrior in 1989, which is an amazing title. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then his final game was Air Support in 1992. He had some other stuff there, but you know, nothing too crazy, nothing worth mentioning. So Link Tomlin is our final credit, and again, just credited for sound programming, but they've only got two credits for their name, Aquanaut in 1989 and Pyramids of Ra in 1991. Hmm, nice. So I thought this one was a good one to kick off the episode. It's very lighthearted. It's very fun. It's very laid back, but uh, we're going to get into a track that is equally laid back <laughs> and super chill. This track is from Jimmy White's 2, Q-Ball. This came out in the Game Boy Color in 2000, and the track is called BGM1, and it's by Manfred Linsner.
what a banger. That was oh Jimmy God. White's two cue ball. Not Jimmy White's cue ball two. I don't know why that two is in front. It or kind of baffles me. Or, or Jimmy White's too cute to ball. <laughs> too, too cute to ball. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy White's too cute to ball. <laughs> Anyways, that was <laughs> Game Boy Color in 2000. And uh, that track was BGM1 by Manfred Linsner. Uh, some of the credits on this online are a little confusing because it looks like Alistair Brimble did the... Uh, like the main console version of this game, but uh, yeah, I, I couldn't find anything showing me Alistair Brimble did the Game Boy Color version other than on Wikipedia, where it was just like a generic credit for all of them. Mm. But there were several sources, including VGM Rips, that said that Manfred Linsner did this one. And you, you may remember this one if you're a longtime Pixel Tunes radio listener in my uh, previous podcast. Reason being is because I definitely remember playing this one on that show. On mm. I definitely remember playing it on that podcast at some point in time and just being blown away by how good this track is. Track so nice, you played it twice. Yeah, man. <laughs> Too cute to play it twice. <laughs> oh, now you're putting words in my mouth. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, this this was... So like the Noah's Ark track surprised me because of like the really cool breakdown that was in, uh, t- towards the end. This one surprised me because this didn't sound like a Game Boy Color track. I mean, I, I understand that it was, but right off the bat, my brain was just like, this is a, this is a C64 track. And then like two minutes yeah. in, my brain was like, this is still a C64 track. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that this was from like demo scene stuff that Manfred Lindner was doing. So we probably just grabbed it and used it for this instead but yeah those tones definitely are uh, are of the archaic systems like the uh, you know the, the old school pal mm-hmm. computer systems like the commodore 64 that type of stuff amiga that's just how those composers sound there's tons of uh, arpeggios usually involved you know less staccato notes that typically are uh, are more along the lines of uh, eastern composers uh, yeah. that we typically talk about on the show but you know the the, the sound that you're going to be hearing on these tracks is just very very western oriented and uh, so you can kind of tell if you listen to other episodes of our podcast and then go and listen to this one you can really see and hear the uh, the difference there the main reason that it surprised me is just like that's not what i'm used to the game boy color or game boy sounding like so uh mm. knowing that they have a, a style and the sound is one thing but being able to get that style and sound to to be cohesive across different systems is mm. pretty amazing to me yeah, uh, and obviously, like we, uh, you know, we we all know by now we're seventy seven episodes into this show. Uh, I love be some buzzy bass, and man, mm-hmm. this was like overblown buzzy bass, uh, and I loved every minute of it. It was just super crunchy. Isn't really the right, the right word. There there was just so much. Like the the bass line never really stopped. It didn't really change. Uh, and I mean, most people would find that boring, but combined with everything else, like I found that bass line to really drive the rest of the song uh, and then on top of that like that's just like that's just where my brain likes to live so I was just like cozying up with these really fuzzy buzzy bass gotta say I think the main thing that hooks me for this one is that that melody that main lead melody it's so fun and free and dancey it was catchy Um, yeah and and very funky too you could totally hear this on like you know like a disco funk kind of vibe but then it kind of 
lays out and sprawls itself out, you know. It it shows its track beaver. It's it's furry mane. <laughs> when when you get to the part it's just like da 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 it's very like Italio disco. Hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's the vibe. The vibe that I got there was like that swirling kind of like orchestral swirl that kind of comes in on a lot of disco tracks. There's not really much to talk about with this game though. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. That's it. You can play as uh, a couple different characters or against a couple different characters. There's Broke Ben. There's Nine Nigel. There's Susie Q and Jimmy White. Which Susie Q, it, there's a Perfect. photo online of Susie Q, and she just looks like a mom. Like, she just looks... It, you know what it is? It looks like the developer took a photo of their wife, and they were like, I'm just going to use this in the game, honey. And she was just like, whatever, I need a divorce. Like, that. that's... That's what happened. Uh, possibly. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, yeah, uh, it's a top-down pool game, or billiards, as some people like to call it. I mean, I've never played this one, but I've wanted to because the soundtrack is just so good. I mean, this song is the king on, on the soundtrack by far, in my opinion, but the rest of it has got some good stuff. I'll have to, yeah. um, I'll have to go check that out because if the other tracks are anything like this, then that is fantastic. Manfred Linsner, Did, I feel like we've talked about him before. Yes, yes. Manfred Linsner, we've played quite a bit on uh, previous episodes. He started off, his very first game was Imperium Romanium, or Romanum, in 1996. And then he did a game called Rise of the Rabbits. Not Rabbids, yeah. <laughs> Rabbits in 1997, which I'm pretty sure we mentioned yeah, last yeah. time. He's done a bunch of licensed stuff, like Dave Mira Freestyle BMX in 2000, Spider-Man in 2000. I think that's the Game Boy Color version, maybe. Uh, he did both Tomb Raider games on the Game Boy Color. That's that's what yeah. I know. Yeah. He belongs to a group called Shinnan, and we we talked about Shinnan pretty, pretty frequently. I think we played a track on a Spooky Fest episode uh, from Monster yes. House. Yes, yes. And he did the Game Boy Advance version of that. His last game that he's credited for is The Tourist, which is T-O-U-R-Y-S-T. And he did additional music and sound effects on that in 2019. Before we move on, I, I just want to clarify for all the uh, the European listeners that pool, also known as billiards, is, uh, is also known as snooker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know in, that in like Britain, until, I think. yeah, either Britain or the UK. Mm. So, snooker. <laughs> and, and snooker table. They call it snooker table. Snooker balls. Yeah. Snooker balls sounds like a really good cookie. Like mm. a like a snickerdoodle. Like, I was going to say like a snickerdoodle, but 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 ball. But yeah, like in ball form, like yeah. rolled up in a ball. That, but, that, yeah, that we, where, where I grew up, we actually, there was a bar called Snooker's. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Was it a pool ball? Pool, uh, yeah, pool, pool bar. Ball. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. it was like any other bar. I mean, it, it had billiards. But it probably had a, a bunch of billiard tables. But yeah, I, I never I never knew that connection. N- now that we are talking about, it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's probably why the bar was called Snooker's. Yeah. So now you know. Indeed. All right, let's move into your first pick. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be an Amiga game from 1993. It is known as Arabian Nights. The <laughs> track is Le Bateau uh, Restaurant, and it was composed by Matt Furness.
Welcome back. That was Dorabian Nights. <laughs> <laughs> Arabian Nights, the Amiga, released in 1993. The track was Le Bateau, a restaurant, and it was composed by Matt Furness. I like how that joke was born out of the Rhythm and Pixels episode that we just did on uh, 75. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. Now, anytime anybody plays a, a song from a game and either the song or the game is called Arabian Nights, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I, uh, I was watching you to trying to hold it in when I was introducing it on the on the, <laughs> on the end of the last break. So I was like, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll do it coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great track by Matt Furness. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a song by him that I was like, ugh. <laughs> you know, so this track reminded me of almost PlayStation or almost Redbook audio tones, especially that lead melody. That yeah, just like the way that the instruments sounded. I mean, like yes, I know it was on an Amiga, but <laughs> man, that synth is just so crisp and clean and clear. It's a little quiet. I got to say, the whole track in general was pretty quiet uh, in terms of the volume itself, but the bass kept a good pace on this one. Yeah, and yeah. I felt like it was a part of the track that you could always rely on and always kind of go home to <laughs> in, in the sense that if you get lost in that lead melody, you can kind of travel back to that bass in your head and, and kind of just refocus on that. And so it, it's definitely the, the beating heart of the track, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The entire soundtrack for this game is actually pretty good. Uh, I mean, it's a Matt Furness soundtrack, so... yeah. It, it, it's not going to suck, that's for sure. <laughs> this one, I just, I really liked what they did with the uh, the, the stereo stuff. Like, there, there's two kind of different things going on in each ear. Like, even at the very beginning, like, each ear is technically doing the same thing, mm. but they're doing it in, like, a, like, not necessarily a different pace, but I feel like one ear is slightly off time, and it's not, like, it's not causing any, like, dissonance or anything. It's just causing this really weird thing where you're hearing the same thing on both ears, but they're they're, they're somewhat off, and I it, it messed with my brain in, like, a fun way. Mm. Uh, I, I don't really know how else to describe it. I, hopefully, the folks uh, at home listening, or in the car listening, or wherever you're listening, uh, kind of get what I'm talking about, but if, if you're not listening to this in in stereo like either on headphones or like in in a, a car stereo or something give it a give it a try and just listen to how things play back and forth differently like the opening is really cool and then as things go on you just have like this the the left ear is doing the same thing and just keeping this the same melody going while the right ear has like a lot of the the, the bass and some of the other stuff uh it's just wild how it's like yeah. it doesn't sound bad uh, where you you would think it would especially when things don't match up on on either side so having that stereo effect is definitely important to note and uh, if you are listening right now and you're like wait a minute what are they talking about go back and listen to it on headphones or listen to it on stereo because uh, it is well worth it you get to hear uh, some really interesting things especially on headphones where uh, that melody is kind of staying in the left ear, but then it kind of, when it goes to that, it, it bounces back and forth between the right and left ear, all while that bass line is going in your right ear. It's really yep. intense. <laughs> yeah, in intense is the right word. Yeah. Obviously, all of these games, I don't think either of us are going to have a whole lot of experience with because neither mm -hmm. of us lived in uh, in an area that was a PAL territory. Right. But... This is this is like pal people talking about U.S. exclusives, like <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Um, yeah. 
but I'll give you a, a bit of an overview. So you are playing a character named Sinbad Jr., uh, who you'd think is like a sailor or something. No, he's a gardener. Um, what? <laughs> Sinbad Jr. is a gardener. That sounds uh, like James Bond Jr., you know? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> or Kid Dracula. Sinbad Jr., Okay, <laughs> but it, it it's a platforming game, but it opens up with uh, Sinbad Jr. witnessing a, <laughs> a, a the princess of the territory being kidnapped by a dragon, and he tries to save her, but uh, ends up getting like stuck on this dragon and falling off. Uh, and oh then, wait, I'm a gardener. Basically, <laughs> uh, and and then when like he 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 hits the ground and uh, is knocked unconscious, and then he wakes up in a prison, and he's being blamed for like he's being accused of sorcery and being blamed for the kidnap of the princess mm-hmm. so it, it, there's like nine levels you start out in the dungeons and you have to like fight your way out or platform your way out however you want to see it uh, and you're you're trying to find the princess uh, so that you can save her and prove that you did not kidnap her gotcha pretty standard platforming stuff it sounds interesting the box art looks uh looks a little wild but i have not seen any of the actual gameplay but it sounds really interesting yeah um, this box art's pretty trippy <laughs> it looks like uh like cuphead but like from the 90s yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> or like the yeah like the early 90s like late 80s kind of vibe yeah that's um, interesting o- almost semi-anime-esque yeah there's some uh questionable visuals on some of these covers some of the uk artists had a lot more free reign because there was no esrb back then in the like <laughs> late 80s early 90s so i mean it wasn't until like the mortal Kombat era that esrb was there and then even then after that i mean it's all uk stuff so it wouldn't be esrb it would be like whatever they have they have like i, I think Pe- it's peggy yeah peggy yeah because every time you watch a trailer from there they're like Peggy 7 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Peggy 17. Yeah. Matt Furness, no stranger to this show. Just going to call out a couple of things. He started out with Tubin in 1988. He's quite the legendary composer. Yeah, Back to the Future Part 3 in 1991 did the music on that. And one more. <laughs> Boogerman, a pick and flick adventure in 1994. Yes. Course. I would like to add Wolf Child. He mm. did the Genesis port as well as uh, Adventures of Mighty Backs for the Genesis, which has an amazing soundtrack. It's a terrible yes. game, but it's got a great soundtrack. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, go ahead and take a call from uh, Caller Request Hotline. Janine is uh, flagging us down to take this one, so let's uh, give, it a, give it a listen. Caller, you are on the air with XVGM Radio. Who is this? What can we play for you? Hello. This is Gargamel. I hate the Smurfs, and I want you to play a Smurfs track because I hate it so much. It's like Stockholm Syndrome. Why do you hate the Smurfs so much? Because they ruined my life. Oh, I mean, that's fair. Any track in particular you want us to play or just something Smurfy? I hate the Smurfs. Smurfalicious. All right. Well, he just hung up on us, so we're going to go ahead and play Act 5, The Flight on a Stork which is on the Smurfs NES game, which came out in 1994. This is uh, by one of our favorite composers, Alberto Jose Gonzalez.
Okay, you are back, and that was The Smurfs. This came out on the NES in 1994. That track was Act 5, The Flight on a Stork, and is by Alberto Jose Gonzalez. Oh my goodness, what a banger. This was so good. What, 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 I got to get your thoughts on this one. So the, I mean, the first thing I'll say is the white noise drums that they uh, that Alberto used in this were really well used. I, I really enjoyed just the sound of them and 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 how they how, how they they flowed throughout the song the other thing that i will say is you really have to stop playing commodore 64 tracks and calling them something else because it's going to confuse our <laughs> listeners no obviously this is an nes track but again like just like with the the game boy color track i am yeah. surprised to hear what to me are Commodore 64 sounds like, especially like mm. the, that that rhythm. Just like I don't know what to call it, so I uh, I wrote down rhythm bloops. Like just they, it, it doesn't change uh, tempo, it doesn't change note. It just it's there keeping the rhythm. And C64 is what I keep calling it. In reality, like I have no experience with <laughs> the Commodore 64, so if I was really to relate it to something that I am familiar with, it would be demo scene kind. I I, I wasn't part of the demo scene, but like I've heard demo scene music. Or key gen sure. music, like key gen music, yeah. always sound. Now that I know what, you know, in my adult life, now that I know what Commodore sixty four music sounds like, the key gen music mm -hmm. I used to enjoy when I was doing illegal things uh, as a kid uh, would. It sounds. Gross. Oh, jeez, I just meant I just meant pirating <laughs> software, man. What's? Oh, I thought you meant smurfing. <laughs> I was just smurfing software, man. Right. <laughs> but yeah, like that. That's what it sounded like, and I, I always loved it. Like the, the different key gens that that I'd use for whatever I loved leaving it up and listening to the music this track just completely blows me away mm. first off it sounds like alberto was like hey i want to write music for a Mega Man game <laughs> but i don't live in japan so i'm just gonna write this amazing smurf soundtrack <laughs> on the nes and call it a day man though that lead melody and those note bends like that's what really gets me is those insane note bends like the da -na 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 -da -da, like like th that the note bends there really hooked me and it it puts such a good like interesting spin on what could have otherwise been you know just like a regular action platform game but his tracks have such i, I don't know such feeling and emotion uh in them that when you hear a track by him you immediately know first off that's by him and secondly it just i don't know reeks of awesome there's no other thing that i can add to this just you know i'm a huge fan of his soundtracks i've bought so many games just because they have his soundtracks so it's uh i'm gonna have to see about playing this one at least playing it on an emulator or something because i don't think it, uh, you can get it to work on anything other than like a retron 5 or something like or you know like a clone system yeah i don't know if it if it would work on a um like if the cart itself would work on a uh, top loading at NES. I'm not sure. Cause I know that some of the other games that he did work on think the Asterix and Ob Obliex one for the NES or uh, yeah, I, I think that one has some problems with it where like if you try to play it on an NES, you can get only up to a certain level hmm. on, on an NTSC. NES, oh, and then like it, cra it just completely craps out. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, but oh man, just such a good song, and the entire soundtrack is also good. He's worked on a bunch of other Smurfs games too, so it's not like this is his Smurf. His this, it's not like this is his first Smurfing. Mm. You know, this isn't his first Smurfio. Smurfio, yes. 
<laughs> yeah, they just, just changed his name to Alberto Smurf Gonzalez. Smurfio Gargamel, who's the bad guy in the Smurfs, and uh, he's captured three of the Smurfs, and his plan is to eat them, which I don't know why he hates them, and I don't know why he wants to eat them. They don't look very appetizing. Yeah, it's probably so. something to do with like thinking that they have magical powers that, that he will get by eating them. You play as one of the Smurfs, oh. and then you have to go out and try to you know rescue the gotcha, Smurfs. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, it's a pretty basic action platform where you're going through like forests and mountains and, you know, mine cart stuff and uh it's it's pretty neat hmm. there's i think there's a level that's like a shooter level which i think is this one i think that you're the on a historic yeah 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 so, so it's um, like a... there, there's also some bonus levels hmm. too that are in the game called the dam and the butterflies and the mushrooms so hmm. uh, alberto jose gonzalez we've definitely talked about on the podcast before i don't know i'll just toss out a couple <laughs> games for him uh turok Rage Wars on the Game Boy Color, which is one of my favorites that he's done. Looney Tunes Twubble. <laughs> That's right, Twubble. Came out in 1998 on the Game Boy Color. He's done a lot of Game Boy Color stuff and Game Boy yeah. stuff. Bomb Jack in 92, and let's go Metal Masters in 1993. Again, he's done a bunch of stuff. His current role, he's done a lot of like development work as of late for various different companies, mostly doing programming and engineering. But he's still a pretty big part of the VGM community uh, to this day. So it's really cool to, uh, I mean, he's very approachable. He'll answer any question that you have. And he's buddies with Yuzo Koshiro, so it's like <laughs> he's he's on both sides of the coin. He talks to us nerds about video game music, and then he talks to, you know, the composers and hangs out and chills with them, too. So he's like the ultimate dude. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Cool, cool. All right, let's move into uh, your next pick. Yeah, so this is going to be a game called The Trapdoor. It came out in the Amstrad CPC, the Commodore 64, and the ZX Spectrum. We're going to hear the Commodore 64 music. We're going to listen to the main theme, and this was composed by Don Priestley.
welcome back from the Trap Doors main theme. That was the Commodore 64 version of the 1986 game that also came out on the Amstrad CPC and the ZX Spectrum, all programmed by Don Priestley. Uh, I mentioned him as the composer. Uh, he's literally the only person listed as programmer, so uh, I'm guessing he probably programmed the music as well as the game. Like, I like the whole track. It's definitely like a synth poppy kind of, it's got those like dark synth poppy kind mm. of sounds with, you know, that almost borderline polka uh, bass line, you know? Those lead lines though, like right before the end, they kind of have a different tinge on them. Are you talking about when it gets like quieter, like it, like the, the the volume comes like right down and it gets like kind of quiet for the last uh, last bit. Yeah, it like sustains mm-hmm. a little bit, and then there's a little bit of a note bend. And uh, in addition to that, it's mm-hmm. like I think it go it went up an octave, uh, so it kind of caught my ear. I was like, oh wow, there's a lot going on here that wasn't happening earlier in the track, but just the whole track is a great synth pop jam. So I was I was definitely feeling this one. I felt the same way. I think you actually hit almost everything that I wanted to hit. The, the only thing that I pulled out of this uh, that you didn't mention is something that I may only exist in my head, or maybe it's a band kid thing, or maybe it's specific band kid thing. But uh, I remember every Memorial Day in marching band uh, in high school, we one of the songs that we would play a lot was Anchors Away, mm-hmm. and it has uh, it has a melody line that matches up almost perfectly with part of the melody in here. So every time it goes do 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 do, that that's Anchors Away to me. So every time it hit that, I was just like kind of pulled out of it for a second and then thrown back in as it went in a totally different direction. I mean, um, I was in band and I was in marching band too, mm-hmm. and I don't remember playing Anchors Away. I'm I'm sure we did, but it was so long uh, ago. I just don't remember. I've played that song so so many times between heck, we played it before high school when I was in band in middle school for, for yeah. the, the couple of years that I was there. We would play that for Memorial Day as well. So like you're talking six years of playing <laughs> that song. And I mean, it wasn't like we only played it on Memorial Day because as a band, we had to practice and everything else leading up. So that's one of the many songs from band that has been drilled into my head. <laughs> yeah, you get when you play songs that often, you get sick of them. So oh, yeah. it, it makes sense. But this game uh, seems kind of interesting, actually. If, if, if I could get a way to play this somehow, I would totally love to. This is based off of a British cartoon, uh, like a children's television show of the same name called The Trapdoor. And it's got this, like, blue egg Muppet-looking creature. He, he reminds me of a cross between, like, an egg and, you know, the the, the Muppet creatures, though, that yip, 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 Yeah, yip. he looks like a cross between Cookie Monster and the yip, yip, yip guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so you're, you're playing as that, which his name is Burke, and he has, you know, a pet named Drut, and the, the whole concept is you're doing tasks for the thing upstairs, uh, which is a thing that you never see, so it gives you quests, a bit more or less, um, in this castle that you live in, and you're just doing things to, to help complete whatever task that he that he gives you, and sometimes you have to go out through the castle, and sometimes you have to go out to different areas. Like, I'm sure it's a kid's game, and it's probably not that difficult, or at least by today's gaming standards, mm. but it just, it looks incredibly adorable. Looking at it with today's modern game standards, you look at it and you're like, oh, that doesn't look that great, but for 1986, this was so amazing that it actually won 
uh, won an award. It won Best Original Game of the Year at the 1987 Golden Joysticks Awards. Oh, wow. Yeah. So And then it, it did so well that it actually had a sequel in 1987 called Through the Trapdoor. So huh. it, this is pretty nifty, nifty little thing, a nifty little property. Now, the um, internet shows David Dunn as the composer, but you mentioned Don Priestley. Yeah, so Don Priestley, when I looked up this game, was the only person listed for the Commodore 64 version. Literally, the only credit on Moby Games is program Don Priestley. But yeah, ZX Spectrum only lists Don Priestley as program as well, so the internet may have more information. Yeah, I figured we could at least mention David Dunn's name just in case it is him, but Wikipedia has him listed as the composer. Just as a heads up though, there is no citation for that, so there's a possibility that, yeah, it might just be Don Priestley, and maybe David's trying to add his credit in just to add it, but... uh, (laughs) I mean, I, I I don't know. Maybe he did. I, I'm not trying to badmouth him. I'm just saying, like, maybe he did compose it, and maybe he was miscredited or not credited. I mean, we see, like, that st- sort of stuff all the time uh, yeah. when it comes to composers. But uh, I will say the U.K. composer, or, like, the PAL territory composers were generally a lot better about co- uh, crediting people for compositions. Yeah. If, if it was David Dunn, I, I think I see him here on... Moby Games uh, with some other uh, Commodore 64 and Amstrad CPC games like right. Flight Flight Pass 737 in 1984. Yeah. Uh, first game here for, for musical arrangements being PC Fuzz in 1984, and his last credit is Jet Bike Simulator in 1989. Yep. Yeah, and he did Chiller in '84, yep. and just he's he's done a bunch of stuff, but. You know, it's for, I figured we'd at least mention his yeah, yeah. info. Yeah. But uh, Don Priestley, he doesn't have anything as no, far as no, music no, credits. No audio credits. We're going to be going from the trapdoor to Game Over, which I guess is what happens when you go through the trapdoor. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, ga- game Over is the name of our next game, and it's a track off of the Commodore 64. This came out in 1987, and it's the main theme, and it's by Martin Galloway. Thank you. 
VGM Radio, where the bits just keep coming. Hey, that little audio journey was from Game Over. That was the Commodore 64 version, and this came out in 1987. The main theme is the track that we listened to. It's by Martin Galloway. Oh, man. That was insane. Yeah, like, you want to talk about a journey. The thought didn't occur to me until, like, just a few moments ago, but this is like a prog rock... VGM tune, and I, I, and I know that's not super uncommon, and that we we've had prog rock type stuff before, but like this is when you talk about prog rock, I think about songs that just take you on this really trippy journey with with nothing but music, and like this took you on quite the, like at least five different locales. Yeah, I mean, the talk about a track that changes things up. This was definitely a winner as far as that aspect goes. Yeah, just so many moments in this track. It's, it's hard to really pinpoint something specific. I will say that some of the notes that I heard sounded off-key at points, and I don't know if the composer was going for like a slightly unsettling environment <laughs> at times, but that is what I got from this track at points. But one thing that I wanted to really note that really caught my ear was the almost ASMR-like sounds that were you could hear them going back and forth between the ears <laughs> this like high pitched whine that kind of combined with those really like i don't want to say flat drums but like calm more tinny type drums but that's just you know the nature of the hardware but man that part right there it was like maybe halfway or a little after halfway through the track that i closed my eyes for that and i was just vibing out to it i was feeling things i was smurfing it man i was smurfing myself to this track it was just good stuff would you say you were in smurfana yeah for sure <laughs> yeah it was really impressive like sound wise but i definitely got an uneasy feeling in the beginning of the track with all those off key notes and then as the track went on it did get more prog rock for me a little bit but then once that like asmr type stuff came in it honestly sounded more like if you're familiar with the artist Danger, that he would do. There was a lot of like, yeah, 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 kind of like stretching notes uh, yeah. that are like pulsating. And uh, those really caught me off guard. Like I, that was the part I think the most like where I, I closed my eyes and was just like vibing out to it. it. It really did feel like a Danger track at that point. Yeah. No, I'm not familiar with Danger, so I can't speak to that. But I do get kind of what you're saying. I found, like, the middle section, like, there was the bit where, like, the music kind of cut out and you just had this rhythm thing going over and over, which the rhythm 
piece of this is really the only piece that I didn't really enjoy. Mm. It kind of reminded me of like the cartoon skidding sound, except like mm. cut really short and just like used as used as a, a as a sound or a note. Mm. And then the you know that that part that you're talking about where like it reminded me yeah, of like yeah. a mosquito buzzing around my head being really annoying. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but then like after that section the middle section had this like almost synth pop feel and I, I, I'm not sure if that's the part that you're, that you're talking about that, that reminds you of, of danger but I just because of the quality and you know the the sounds that they were using and the kind of the progression of the, the track it reminded me a little bit of like what we talked about earlier with like just synth pop yeah. so it was really no the mosquito the mosquito part was definitely the danger okay that was ish it. Part, that that yeah 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 where like the the synths sound like they're overlapping and stretching yeah, onto each yeah. other that is dangerous bread and butter like <laughs> it, and and it makes sense because he's i believe a french composer mm. he uh also does game composition as well he just did a, a game fairly recently actually his first i think it's his first mm. anyways martin galloway is the composer on this one a lot of credits for a lot of stuff. Mm. Started off with Atomic Protector in 1983 as an audio director. They were uncredited for a few things like Kong Strikes Back in 1984, but they ended up doing a lot of stuff over the years. A lot of conversions over to the 8-bit computers or the stuff like the Amiga. Also did a lot of work on the Ultima series and the Wing Commander series. Mm. But their final game that they worked on was Where Time Stood Still, which came out in 2014. They're credited for the original Ocean Loader music. Prior to that, I would guess Platypus 2 in 2007. They were credited for music. Nice. All right, what you got for us? All right. This one is from a series that I think is pretty famous overall, but we did not get the game. It is Discworld Noir. This came out on Windows and the PlayStation 1 in 1999 in Europe only. (laughs) The track is track 28 and was composed by Paul Weir.
Welcome back to XVGM Radio's Only in Pal episode. The track that you just heard was track 28 from Discworld Noir, a Windows and PS1 game that came out in 1999, was composed by Paul Weir. Paul Weir. I think it's Weir. This was uh, good, loungy stuff. Definitely unlike anything that we've played today so far, I would say. We've played mostly like very upbeat jazzy kind of stuff or laid back platformy kind of stuff you know this track would have fit perfectly in like a jimmy white's cue ball too in terms of the uh console versions i would say you know with the red book audio style jazz lounge music so yeah yeah i don't exactly know why but i feel like this is almost at home in some of the sierra games that we talked about a long time ago yes Yes, that's a good point. Totally fits in with like maybe something like Leisure Suit Larry or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I surprisingly don't have a whole lot to say about this one. Not because I didn't enjoy it, but just because I really feel the track kind of speaks for itself. It's loungy, it's jazzy, and it's really, really relaxing. I'm going to listen to this one when going to bed, and uh, I hope I didn't put anybody to sleep with it, because (laughs) it's very, very just like, close your eyes, and all of a sudden you're drifting off into some other world. Coming (laughs) off of that ASMR-style track uh, at points for Game Over, and then going right into a lounge jazz track, it's easy to see why somebody would fall asleep to something like this. And I think you described it perfectly when you said that there's really not a lot to say with this track and that the track kind of speaks for itself because you know how nitty-gritty can you get when it comes to lounge jazz music it's just i i feel like you feel it more than you can discuss it so to speak Mm. yeah that's about all there is to it for sure you know i've heard of this Discworld game but i don't know anything about it and i don't know why it's uk exclusive so you got any info on this so, well, I mean, Discworld itself is a, a series of books by Terry Pratchett. Okay. Um, it's more or less satire, and there are a number of books, and there's also a number of games. So there, there's a Discworld Mud, there's the Discworld, Discworld 2, Discworld Noir, and Discworld The Color of Magic, which was a, a mobile phone remake of an older game. But the game, just called Discworld, came out in North America and Europe for DOS in 1995, as well as Mac OS and PlayStation. So... Like, the other games came out all over, but not this one. Oh. Uh, and it might be because this one kind of stands out from the rest in a kind of an odd way. So the other games in the Discworld series are based off of books, or sometimes they're amalgamations of, of bits from different books. But this one is actually a totally original creation. Oh, okay. Very interesting to see how it went and the fact that we just never got it, but it's a little bit disappointing because it looks pretty cool, like uh, you know, 3D polygons and all that fun stuff, voice acting, and it's it's a noir detective story, which is another thing that I guess didn't really exist much in the Discworld universe. Like they they say that this follows Discworld's first and only private investigator, oh. yeah, named Luton who is given a case to investigate a brutal murder, uh, and it just kind of leads him through the sinister plot and, like, a seedy underbelly of a cult and, and all this crazy stuff. So they're, the books are, are really fun. I have not read all of them, but I, man, wish I had some access to this game. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess emulation or tracking down a, a copy and getting a PAL compatible or region free PS One would be your mm. best bet. So yeah, yeah. But Paul Weir started out with Discworld Two Mortality Bites in 1996, doing sound effects. Got onto writing music for Glover in 1998. Uh, and then went on to do a lot of stuff bouncing between music and sound effects, audio production. We'll go with Nickelodeon Party Blast in 2002. They did the music on music and sound effects on Constantine in 2005. Music and audio on Joe Danger 2, the movie in 2012. And they're still doing stuff to this day. In 2020, they did music and sound design on The Last Campfire. All right. Very cool. So it looks like we are getting a phone call. Janine, you want to go ahead and send that on over? Let's see what we got. Yeah. XVGM Radio, you are on the air. Who are you and what can we play for you? Is that, is that, is that an animal? What, what is that noise? That's, I can't just be one animal. There's a, there's, I can hear music in the background. It sounds like a zoo. Almost like, like, a, like a is that this is a snake pit or something? Ugh, snakes, snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Why did it have to be snakes? All right, Janine, I don't know what's going on with that, but let's end that call. You know, that reminds me. I, I don't know why snakes would call us, but I, the only thing I can imagine is that they want us to play a track from Snake Rattle and Roll, which came out in the Mega Drive as an exclusive in 1993, and uh, this track was Level Three Razor Ravine, and it's by. One of our favorites, David Wise. Thanks for joining us back on our only in PAL episode, episode 77. The track we just heard was from Snake Rattle and Roll, and it was on the Mega Drive, which came out in 1993. And the track was Level 3 Razor Ravine, and it's by David Wise. Oh man, that was really kind of cute. I really enjoyed the repeated melody that they were doing. It was very fun and playful. And then I, I noticed partway through like the toy piano that was in there just kind of 
amped up the cuteness factor. Like, I feel like I've seen Snake rattle and roll. I don't know if, if we saw it on, on other systems or if I'm we just did. thinking, okay. Yeah. No, you are accurate. It came out on the NES first. It came out on a bunch of different regions, but then the game did get a sequel on the Game Boy. I think it's called like Sneaky Snakes or something like that. It's okay. <laughs> it's a side scroller instead of it being isometric, but this one is pretty much a straightforward port in terms of the idea behind it. But what's interesting is that this one only came out in PAL territories, despite the fact that the NES game came out, you know, in a bunch of different territories. So I think part of the reason for this is because Rare started to publish some of their games in different markets just to basically put something else out. But the thing about Nintendo is that they had a lot of like borderline monopolies going on that needed to be broken up. But the Snake Rattle and Roll game, I think, was one of those games that never made it to North American shores because Nintendo limited the amount of releases that a company could come out with. So I'm wondering if Rare had hit their peak when the ship was there and just kind of took it over. But I don't know. I have no idea. Huh. Yeah, but I mean, like, all the Snake Rattle and Roll music is just basically, like, 50s sock hop, <laughs> you know, type stuff. It's a grand old time. It's, it's good stuff. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So the, the point of the game for Snake Rattle and Roll, if you're not familiar, it is an isometric game where you're playing as a snake. You're either a blue snake or a red snake, and you're going around slithering and trying to gather up whatever themed little colored balls that are moving around the level. They get generated out of these like hubs and then you go up to the hubs, you wait for the colors to appear. Depending on what color you get, like either blue, red, or yellow, they do different things uh, as far as the amount of weight that they put on your snake. But the whole point of the game is to get very heavy, so it adds on balls to your snake. Little, like, you know, additional body balls or body parts or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's like the snake game. Every time you eat something, you get a little bit longer. Right, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you're getting bigger, and then you got to weigh yourself on the scale. If you pass, then you go on to the next level. If you don't pass, then you got to eat more. And there's all these things trying to kill you and trying to get you. So, you know, it's just about avoiding. And some of the jumps are really crazy. I will say that this is not just a straightforward port of the NES game. A lot of the music has been completely changed out, and a lot of the levels are also completely changed, very different. So. Oh, that's that's cool. So they're technically two different games. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like if you haven't played the Genesis or Mega Drive version of this game, but you're like a huge fan of the NES fan, like me personally, I am uh, a big, big fan of the NES game. So it's well worth trying to pick up or check out the Genesis or Mega Drive version. Nice, cool. Yeah. David Wise, I don't think we need to talk about. Uh, we did a whole episode with him as a guest, so go check out episode 50, I believe 50. it is. Yep. Yeah, we the talked ukulele to, episode. Yes, we talked to David Wise and uh, Grant Kirkhope about their evolution uh, into the ukulele series. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that leads into my next track here. Uh, this is going to be a game called Retro Force. came out on the PS1 in 1999. The track is Music 05, and it was composed by Gary McKill. All right, let's do it. 
Right. Welcome back. That was Breakbeat the Game. (laughs) (laughs) No, that that was Retro Force, the 1999 PS1 PAL exclusive. The track was Music 05, and it was composed by Gary McHill. Oh, man. I mean, this song does enough for me to not get completely bored with it. Um, You know... I think the thing that really kind of woke me up on this one was those twinkling kind of soft pianos, uh, that, that lead line, that, the, yeah. the, not even a lead line to like a, like a background melody that they just kind of tossed in, but it really kept the track like engaging. And, you know, the problem with breakbeat music is it's good, <laughs> but after you hear about 30 seconds worth, you're like, I'm good. I never have to hear the song again, uh, or at least in my opinion. I know you're going to yeah, say yeah. something totally different, but nope. like to me, 30 seconds worth of breakbeat, I'm good. I heard it. Like I feel like I'm in a Guy Ritchie movie. I don't need to do anything else. So, um. yeah, no, that that's totally fair. I don't listen to a lot of breakbeat. I I picked this one partly because I feel like I remember you enjoyed breakbeat, but I also thought that this was fairly interesting. Yeah. I like it. I just like it in small doses. Yeah. You know, a, a five-minute yeah. track of... of Unless it's going crazy and doing a bunch of other stuff in the background or it's got some really hard synths to kind of keep me engaged, I kind of tap out at 30 seconds. But anyways... No, that's fair. This is another one that I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. I, I thought that the, the breakbeat itself was really cool. It doesn't really change up a whole lot. Like, there there's a little bit of transformation throughout the song, but it, it is very subtle, and I feel like the stuff that you're talking about, like the, the twinkling melody but kind of background, is more the thing that catches your ear and, and keeps it lively or, like, keeps it interesting throughout. Mm. So, word. Yeah, the breakbeat itself was cool and impressive, but I agree with you. It after a while, like it doesn't change enough for uh, for for me to say like, oh, like it, it gets cool. Like it, it it starts cool and it stays cool, but right. it doesn't change enough to like do anything different. So. Right, right, right. So this game, obviously, we did not get it here in America. In the game, you get to play as one of the four members of the Retro Force, and they are Paris Tetsuo, Pi, Houghton Radar, and Sinclair. <laughs> Sinclair is like a conical robot, like like um, he's shaped he, like a cone. He is like if you if you take like a road cone, make okay, it fatter, make it metallic green, and then throw some eyes and a and an angry mouth of teeth <laughs> what? on it. That that appears to be Sinclair. I'm, I'm getting this all off of the um, cover art. Pie is a cat. He's a large blue cat with blue and purple ears. Paris and Houghton, since they both have last names, they appear to be human, although. Paris, her skin looks a little greenish, so maybe she's an alien. But they each have their own sort of styles. Uh, they, they call them aerial attributes, so they, they do, do different things in the air with a character. And you shoot down your enemies from the sky and from the ground. I should have mentioned earlier, this is a shoot 'em up game. <laughs> it doesn't look great. I mean, I, I, I like a shmup, uh, so long as it doesn't cross the line into a bullet hell. Yeah. Uh, but th- this does not look like it was well thought out. I, I love your, uh, yeah, you know, I could, uh, I, I like a good shmup. <laughs> Sounds like a sandwich. Anyways, tell Take me a about. a large shmup? And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> one large shmup, hold the smurf. Uh, th- what, what about this composer? 
So Gary McHill has just a handful of credits here. Started out doing music arrangement on Sentinel Returns in 1998. Global Domination, also 1998, the credit for the music. Wipeout 3 in 1999, the credit for original music and sound. Lemmings Revolution, he is the musician on that. And then we have Destruction Derby Raw in 2000, Colony Wars 3 Red Sun in 2000, and then a bunch of Formula One games. Formula One 2001, 2002, and 2003 is credited for the in-game music and all of those. Mm -hmm. All right. That's it. My last pick of this episode is from a game that came out both on the Mega CD and the Genesis, or the Mega Drive, in 1994, PAL-exclusive, it's called Battle Frenzy. It's also known as Bloodshot. The levels track that we're going to be hearing is from levels 6 and 14, and it's by Mike Ash. Thank you. 
Welcome back. That was Battle Frenzy, also known as Bloodshot. This came out for the Mega CD and the Mega Drive in 1994. This track that we heard was from levels 6 and 14, and it's by Mike Ash. And the entire time I was throwing my imaginary glow sticks in the air and screaming, Somebody scream! <laughs> yeah, when, when this track started, I, I went, Everybody dance now! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, straight up dance trance from that era, the early the 90s, mid, yeah. early to mid '90s dance techno music. Uh, it's just, you know, Mortal Kombat, Killer Instinct. <laughs> you know, those two definitely nailed it down. This, not so much. I mean, yeah, this track is probably my favorite of the bunch on the soundtrack. The rest of the soundtrack sounds very similar, and honestly, I would say that those tracks don't fare as well. Hmm. Yeah, they just feel even more repetitive and don't do enough to really kind of energize me. But if you're looking for like a good early 90s techno soundtrack, you look no further. This is uh, some good stuff. Hmm. But you know, I could not personally find a difference between the Mega CD and Mega Drive versions of this soundtrack. I looked and looked and couldn't find any specifically labeled Mega CD version. So I'm wondering if this version that we just heard was on both the the Genesis and the uh, Mega CD. Maybe. Yeah, I, I just, I have no idea. It sounds really clean and clear. And so to me, it definitely feels like it was designed to be one of those kind of games. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like you said, the the track is, is fairly repetitive, as a lot of techno is. It's somewhat energizing, and but when, when you're saying that the rest of the soundtrack is, is fairly similar, maybe not as energetic, I'm wondering more about what the game is like. Like, like this, this feels like music that is meant yeah. to kind of like not distract you and get you into the zone for, for, sure. for, for the game, so you just kind of like get into a game flow. What kind of game yeah, is this? absolutely. So it's a first-person like a uh, game where you're going through a maze. Oh. It's kind of like, pre- I don't want to say pre-Doom, but it does feel very Doom-esque. The game takes place in the year 2049, and there's a moon base called Yaz-67 that ends up getting destroyed by aliens. And so in order to retaliate, the Earth Federation's Starfleet Command sends two battle cruisers to fight this alien ship that has damaged or destroyed their battle cruisers. You're supposed to get on the ship and take as many prisoners as you can. Hmm. So that is pretty much it as far as the game goes. There's more to it, of course, but I mean, our focus is always music. <laughs> uh, so musically, it definitely feels like if the Doom soundtrack was techno music, yeah. it's very repetitive. It's good to listen to in long bursts because you don't know you're going and you're kind of getting lost. So it's still a pretty solid song. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So why this one only came out in uh, PAL territories, I do not know. I could have sworn that I read somewhere that it might be coming to (laughs) the U.S. I know there were some publications that did spotlight it, like Electronic Gaming Monthly. They looked at the Sega CD version, but uh, it never actually ended up coming out here. So the composer is Mike Ash, 
sounds like you know if Bart Simpson were to be calling Mo and asking for for someone like is is Mike yeah. Roch there? Is Mike Mike, yeah, yeah, Mike yeah. Ash? Hey, Mike Cash. Has anybody seen Mike Cash? Where's Mike Cash? Yeah. Yeah. Then you hear Bart on the other line. Going, <laughs> Isn't that Nelson? Yeah. Oh yeah, that is Nelson. Yeah. Well, you hear Nelson too. They're hanging out together. Anyways, Mike Ash started off with Prince of Persia in 1993 doing sound effects and then ended up doing Marco's Magic Football in 1993. After Battle Frenzy, they later on did stuff like Crime Wave in 1996, Absolute Zero in 95. They did the intro and the cutscene music. Last game that they're credited for is Deep Fighter, which came out in 2000 where they did sound effects. But I gotta mention the game right before it, which is called Hot Chicks and Gear Sticks. And that came out in 2000. They did sound effects on uh, that one as well. Oh, that's like um, Hot Dog King. Hot Dog King? Yeah. yeah, it's like Hot Dog King, which we played on our Sexy Games, oh, episode 69. Yeah. Hot Chicks and Gear Sticks, man. Amazing. Yeah, the tagline on that one is Weaker Sex? We don't think so. <laughs> all right, all right. They're so cool. Anyways, <laughs> let's listen to your final pick of this episode. Yeah, so this is going to be Gothic 2 Night of the Raven, which is an expansion for Gothic 2, but the expansion only came out in PAL. And this was a Windows game from 2003. The track we're going to hear is Raven Wraith, and it was composed by Kai Rosenkrantz. <laughs> Welcome back. That was the last track of our Only in Pal episode here tonight. That was from Gothic 2, Night of the Raven, a Windows release from 2003. Kai Rosencrantz composed this track called Raven Wraith. That was very, very exciting as far as like an orchestral track goes, but I, I got to say the, uh, the drums there, those kettle drums, mm. the thing that really kind of perked my ears up was the off timing roll uh, that they tried to do where they're like, bah, 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 bah. it sounded like they were trying to do a drum roll almost, but like it, it was like a note behind or, hmm. you know, a half note behind. I don't know. I, I thought it was weird. But it, it, while it was weird, it also was very unique. It made the track stand out to me. So, you know, a lot of people, they listen to music with off timing and they go, oh, it's, it's awful, you know, like it's not good. But like, you know, off timing stuff does have its place. And it's kind of interesting how we've seen so much of that from this episode in various different tracks. Mm. Yeah, that's true. 
I like this one mostly for just the orchestral or the bombasticness of it. One of the things that we didn't actually have, I, I don't think in any of our other tracks, we had, you know, the jazzy loungy track, which was Red Book Audio. We've had some Red Book Audio stuff, but this sure. one just was kind of a, a totally different direction. And I think that's because a lot of the stuff that we've been playing, I think, has been kind of universal. Like, for instance, the trapdoor. I mean, you know that that's based off of a, a UK children's series, and a lot of this other stuff, I think, could be from kind of anywhere. And like, whether it's from U the the UK or whatnot. But the Gothic series is actually a German series. the The first ah. Gothic game came out in Germany in like. 2001 and then it was popular enough that it went out to the other PAL territories and it, it did eventually yeah. come to America and I believe same with Gothic 2 uh, yeah Gothic 2 came out in America in 2003 and Germany in 2002 but this particular expansion Night of the Raven was only PAL uh, and, and it, it's interesting because I can't say whether it was German only or if it hmm. if it ended up in like the UK based on what I'm seeing it looks like the game was available in the German language only the English version only being released in 2005 as part of the gothic 2 gold package so ah. yeah kind of like a game of the year edition or something so yeah this was eventually repackaged and, and released in English but not you couldn't get it as Night of the Raven or as it was called in Germany, Die Nacht des Robin. All right. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the the series itself is a medieval fantasy type RPG series where uh, humans are losing uh, a war against orcs and whatnot. So in the first game, you're just a, a nameless character uh, who had committed some crimes and is forced to work in a penal colony in order to like mine this magical ore that for the king to you know make weapons and armors and whatnot and a bunch of stuff happens uh, and this magical like force field that contains this colony and contains all the prisoners uh, is, is broken towards the end of it uh, so in gothic 2 it, it starts like right after that where that this barrier has been destroyed a lot of the prisoners have escaped many of them kind of like making up names and titles and kind of like scattering and, and trying to to not get caught and then in Night of the Raven, it introduces a new world to the game called Jarkandar, uh, which is located in like the northeast portion of this kingdom. And it's like an ancient deserted city with like pirates and bandits. So this kind of adds like the, the pirate aspect to, uh, to to the series. But oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, there, there are a number of games in the Gothic series, Gothic 3 being the last installment of the main series. And then it kind of spun off to, like, Arcania, and uh, supposedly in 2009 there was a playable teaser for uh, a new gothic game that's being developed by THQ. So oh. uh, it may get a continuation, but yeah, it looks pretty interesting. Just to talk about Kai real quick, relatively short resume. They started out doing the music in the original gothic game, and they've done all of the mainline gothic series right up the three. That covers 2001 to 2006. And then they went on to do Risen in 2009. And then some of the more recent Leisure Suit Larry games. Uh, Wet Dreams Don't Dry in 2018 and <laughs> Wet Dreams Dry Twice in 2020. That sounds like a conflict between those two game names. Right. <laughs> Their most recent musical works uh, is for Aquanox Deep Descent in 2020. Wow. Yeah. Okay, then. Well, this is going to be hard to pick 
our favorites, which is what we do at the end of every episode. I, of course, I'm going to let you go first, Justin. I'm curious to know what your favorite track was. I'm holding the Discworld Noir track in very high regard because it was kind of what I needed to hear tonight. Just relaxing and, and really smooth and nice. But mm. I'm also going to shout out your Jimmy White 2Q2 ball track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 2Q4 ball. That one was also really, really good. Uh, and then I, I have to say your Smurfs track and and my Trapdoor track are also in competition for top running. So, Word. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I gotta say, so that Game Over track, even though it was my pick, it wasn't picked by me. It was actually you picked it for our intro. Right. And uh, it was, the song was just too long. I was like, no, we can't. And you agreed. You were like, yeah, it is pretty long. So we swapped it with my Noah's Ark track. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, I'm glad that we did that because I gotta say this Game Over track was probably my favorite hmm. uh, of this episode. Mostly because of where the track took me. You know, the journey mm. that that track put me on was uh, pretty intense. So I was yeah. digging that one. Follow up to that, probably Smurfs and Jimmy White for sure. So. so we'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon patrons, without whom this show's continued improvement would be impossible. They are Alex Messenger, Cam Worma, Chris Hart, Dan Lawton, Jordan and Anson Davis, Kung Fu Carlito of the Heroes 3 podcast, Scott McElhone, Chris Myers, Mike Carney, Rage Cage, Peter Panda, The Autistic Gamer 89, Brad Austin, Chris Murray, Jeremy Rutz, Lama Adam, Marcus Stewart, Nathan Cooper, Nick Davis, and Ryan McPherson. If you would like to become a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash xvgmradio. There you can see the different tiers as well. Just $1 gets you a thank you and access to our monthly live shows. You can visit our website, xvgmradio.com, where you can listen to all the episodes and learn more about your hosts, as well as any of our guests or composers that we've had on the show. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always email us at xvgmradio at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. You can join our Facebook group and chat with other VGM lovers at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash XVGM radio, where we talk about everything from current game news to sharing awesome VGM tracks or just talking about the podcast itself. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both those sites is at XVGM radio. If you don't have any other social media or just want to try something unique, check us out on our discord group chat links in the show notes. Justin, in two weeks, we're coming back with another episode of XVGM Radio, but who are we bringing with us and what are we talking about? We're bringing back a very special friend, one that is very well known to both you and me. Uh, Ed Wilson from the VG Embassy is going to join us to talk about Smash Brothers music throughout the ages. That's right. We're tackling the Smash Brothers franchise. I think we're going to be doing mostly like the cover songs, not the originals, because it wouldn't make any sense to do the originals. So we're going to (laughs) be... We're going to be playing some awesome Smash Bros. tunes from all across the Smash Bros. franchise. It's going to be great. Come back in two weeks for that one. This is Mike. And Justin. Signing off for XVGM Radio. But Mm -hmm. I'm also going to shout out your Jimmy White 2Q2 ball track. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 2Q4 ball. Too Uh, cute. 
for a ball. Too, too mm-hmm. cute for balls. Uh, yeah. Scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the way that nope. sounded. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> uh,